Hey, this is CJ Zettemoyer, the next-gen pastor here at White Plains Baptist Church in Scottsville, Kentucky. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope that this message that you're going to hear today encourages you and inspires you to live out the life God has called you to. So here is today's message. So today, we're going to continue and actually conclude our series on dangerous prayers, things that we uh, have been looking at and talking about and praying for. But I want to know, uh, what are your... What are your expectations, okay? So we all have expectations in life. For example, I expect that when I ask my daughter to jump, she's going to say, yes, sir. How high would you like me to jump, Father, sir? Would you like this to be a horizontal or a vertical jump, Father? But I don't know if you've met my daughter that doesn't work that way. Um, We all have expectations, and if we're honest, a lot of them are very unreal expectations. Do you have any unrealistic expectations? Maybe you expect your employees to do everything they do if you're, you're a CEO or a boss or you run a business. You expect your employees to do everything 100% accurately all the time. You expect your students as teachers to do everything right all the time. You expect them to know how to unmute and mute their microphone on Zoom by now, right? We have unrealistic unreal- expectations. And a lot of times when we look at our unrealistic expectations, those are pointed and directed at people. You expect your spouse to fill everything you need in your heart, to be that 100% fulfillment of life, right? Don't look at each other or elbow each other. Maybe you continue to go back to the substance abuse that you struggle with, expecting that to fulfill your life, to, to, put, to fill that need for something that you have. Maybe you watch uh, pornographic films or material, and you expect that to fill your life, and it doesn't. It's unrealistic expectations, And so the question today that we need to start with is, what do you expect from God? What do you expect from God? Do you come to church with expectations? Do you sit at home today with expectations of God to do something? While you're in your waiting, I'm so thankful for Marita sharing. While you're in your waiting, are you expecting that God's going to actually answer? And when he does answer, are you willing to receive that answer? Are you just going to say, well, it's not a no I'm just still waiting. That's a difficult question to answer, right? Because if God says no to your prayers, are you praying improperly? Are you praying wrong? And we put all the emphasis on me, 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 and God's just like, the answer's just no. Continue to serve. And so we've been looking at prayer, and the first week we talked about how to pray, when to pray, talked about we should pray regularly, we should pray constantly, we should pray fervently. Then the next week we talked about how we want to pray the prayer of God, break my heart for what breaks yours so that you can fill me. And then the next week, last week, we talked about God, fill me with a fresh anointing. And it's so crazy that this week has been as crazy as it is because the fresh anointing that God gave Sunday was not enough for Monday and so on, for, at least for me in my crazy life this week. But today we're going to talk about one more thing as we get ready to end this series and we go into prayer night tonight. It is Lord, send revival. And that should be our prayer as a church today. Lord, send revival. Do you think we need revival though? Do we need to be revived? We're not physically dead, but are we spiritually numb? Are we spiritually dead? Because in waiting a lot of times you can get to the point to where you've just given up on God. I've waited so 
so long, and God has not answered me? I think if we're honest as Christians and as a church, the answer is yes. We, we need a revival. We need God to come into our house, come into our families, come into our church, come into our schools, and revive us and bring us back to him. We need a revival that's going to sweep throughout every age range, and people are going to turn to God. We're going to see addictions broken. We're going to see marriages healed. We're going to see miracles happen. If you're honest and you're a Christian, that is what you want to see, is a revival unlike anything we've ever seen before. But something that is, is so hard for us to realize is revival is not something that we do as man. Revival isn't how we present uh, service, how we lead worship, how we play guitars, how we open the doors, what the stage looks like. Revival isn't planning these special events. Revival is something that only God can do. And revival comes from us seeking God's face. Isaiah 64, we see God's people are having a difficult time. And in Isaiah 64, that's where we're going to be today. If you want to open up your Bibles or if you have your phone or your iPad, you can scan there. If you just want to take a mental note, since a lot of you don't have your Bible, we're not going to judge anybody. But they're in captivity. The Jews are in captivity. They've been arrested. They're having a difficult time. Right? The, the chosen people of God are in a difficult spot. And Isaiah begins to pray to God in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, God, do something, right? Come about and do something. But before we get to Isaiah 64, we need to read God's response in Isaiah 65, okay? So Isaiah 64, full of God, do something. God, why isn't revival happening? And then God answers directly in Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. Look what he says. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. God's basically saying, look, I have made myself available to you, Isaiah. I've made myself available to your nation, and yet they continue to turn away from me. They continue to rebel against my teachings, what I have taught them. So in Isaiah 64, we see Isaiah asking God to send revival. Starting in verse, the second half of verse 5. But you have been very angry with us. This is Isaiah talking to God. For we are not godly, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep away like the wind. He's saying our self-righteousness prevents us from the surrender that is required for God to move. He equates that and, and, and points to the leaves in the fall. In the spring, they grow, they're attached, they're so beautiful, they grow and they're, they're green and they become a beautiful tree, but in the fall, they begin to wither, they dry out, and just when the slightest difficulty, the slightest wind comes, they wither, they fall off, and they fall to the ground. No longer attached to the tree, no longer attached to the life-giving source that they need to come back to life. 
They're detached from the trunk, from the vine. And at first, the change looks so beautiful. At first, the change is so beautiful. The trees changing. If you've ever driven through the mountains, it's so pretty in, in early fall to see all the colors. I think it's like October 15th, 14th or something like that. It's like prime tree color changing time. Somebody else may know that. But it's so beautiful. But when the wind blows, the leaves fall and give in to their incoming doom to turn into mulch lawnmowers. We had a neighbor that used to, he, every single day he'd blow his yard off. It's like, gotta have green grass. I'm like, dude, it's fall. Have the leaves. They're beautiful. But really, they're just dead things lying around. It's a little morbid to look at it like that, isn't it? But isn't that how we once were? We, we've grown into these beautiful trees who are green and, and lush and full of life, and then we let little things begin to Take us and and tear us down and tear us away from the tree, from God. So the first thing that stands in the way of revival is our complacency in our sin. Mark 9, 42 through 48. If you were here Wednesday night, this is going to sound real familiar. Hopefully, anyways, hopefully you paid attention. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Uh, students, who, what is Jesus speaking in here? Do you remember? Hyperbole, right? Or hyperbole. Hyperbole. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He is being overdramatic. Any overdramatic people in here? couple liars, but that's okay. All right, hyperbole. <laughs> Jesus is speaking in a hyperbole, right? He, he wants to get the point across, right? He's not saying to actually go. He, he's saying it would be better for you to not have any hands than to want to steal things. It would be better for you to be blind and have no eyes than to continue to lust after those things that you pull up on your phone or you continue to watch on your screen. It would be better for you to hobble around with just a crutch than it would be to walk to the places that cause you to sin. Jesus is saying, get rid of sin from your life. Get rid of sin from your life. Isaiah 64, verse 7, Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. Have you begun to lay your sins before God? Have you begun to stir up yourself in prayer? Have you picked up your cross daily? In our season of waiting, it should be a season of laying things down, of surrender, a season of surrender where we say, God, take this from me. Because I want to see revival, not just in my life, but I want to see revival 
everywhere. I want to see a great move of God. Do you think that we do God a favor just by being here? Like right now, whether you're watching at home or whether you're sitting here in person or whether you're over in the chapel, do you think you are doing God a favor? Sometimes that's how we look at prayer and we look at worship. God, you are so lucky that I am setting aside time from my busy schedule to pray to you, to worship you. Last week we talked, we opened up the the lesson about talking about how it's an honor that the creator of the universe gave us breath this morning, how the creator of the universe wants to hear from us, but sometimes we look at it like it's an honor for him to actually get the opportunity to hear from the person that he created. See, as you read through Isaiah 64, you, you realize that This is a message that's for us. This is a message that's not just a prayer to God, it's a plead to the people. It's a plead to get back right with God. And what better season than a waiting season to do that? We should put ourselves at God's disposal. We should surrender to God. And that sounds simple, right? We make it sound so simple. Because it is. (laughs) It's really simple just to come in here on a Sunday morning with the expectation that God wants to speak to you, to open your Bible and do your devotion. Do your devotion. To, to come to God in prayer with expectation that he wants to talk to you. It's super simple to say, God, take this from me. And then, don't pick it back up. To say, God, I lay down my life and I'm literally not going to pick that junk back up. So how can we have revival? Well, like we just talked about, step one is actually to repent, to turn to God and turn away from our old ways, to to give our life to God and say, God, we are surrendering to you. But the other things we can do is first, remember God's sovereignty. Isaiah 64, verse 8, verse 8. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. We must believe that God is God, the creator of all things. God is God who gives us breath. God is God who knit us in our mother's womb. God is God. Remember God's sovereignty. He doesn't just want a place in our lives. He doesn't want just 30 seconds. He wants to be the sole purpose in our lives. You're not a teacher You're not a construction worker. You're not just a retired person. You are a creation of God. And God wants to be the sole reason you're alive. You should pray, Lord, you are sovereign. I'm the clay. God, mold me into whatever you want me to be. The second thing is we should remember 
God's mercy. Isaiah 64, verse 9. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us. We pray and we see that we are all your people. Pray, God, have mercy on us. God, we need you. God, we want you. God wants to be merciful. God is a loving God. And when somebody loves you, they they give you the punishment that you should receive, right? Otherwise, you're spoiled. If you get what you don't deserve, you're spoiled. All right, I'm going to tell on myself. Thursday night, we had small groups, okay? We host small group at our house. And Thursday night, you know, I asked my daughter to clean up her toys. And remember the expectation thing that we opened up with? She said, okay, Daddy. Well, the Browns were over, so um, I think Maddie and Braxton actually picked up more toys. I I know Maddie and Braxton picked up more toys than my daughter because I see Maddie walking from the kitchen to my daughter's bedroom carrying a handful of toys, and I walk around the corner, and Zoe's laying in the kitchen floor. And I told her, Zoe, you pick up your toys, Daddy will give you a popsicle. I'm not above bribing anybody. Well, they were still there, and I was like, Zoe, you're not getting a popsicle because you didn't help pick up toys, and I'm a stern father, and I run this house. I don't need your laughs, Porter. But Zoe looked at me with her little eyes and said, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? I was like, all right. Here's what I need you to do. Go put on your pajamas and get ready to go to bed. So she did what I asked her to. It doesn't matter if I change the term. She still did what I asked her to. But, you know, I don't know if that makes me a bad dad or just a really good girl dad. Some of you all can answer that for me later. But when we mess up, God shouldn't just pat us on the back and give us whatever we want, right? God should send us to where? complete separation from him. He should remove himself from our lives, but thank God he doesn't do that. Thank God he sent Jesus, right? Thank God there's a New Testament, because if we still lived in the Old Testament world, a lot of us would have been smoting a long time ago. But Jesus came, paid the price that we could never pay, gave us a chance to come back to God and receive his mercy, and God wants to give you that mercy. The problem a lot of the times is we want to continue to receive mercy and never have that repentance. We want to continue to receive mercy but never get rid of the thing that caused us to have to ask for it anyways. The third thing is we should respect God's glory. Isaiah 64, verses 10 through 12, Your holy cities are destroyed. Zion is a wilderness. Yes, Jerusalem is a desolate ruin. The holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down and all the things of beauty are destroyed. After all this, Lord, must you still refuse to help us? Will you continue to be silent and punish us? So what he's saying is the temple 
has become polluted. The temple has become something that it was never intended by their ancestors to be. Worship has become just signs of nothingness. The sacrifices are something they have to do rather than something they get to do. You ever looked at Sunday morning like that? I've looked at ministry like that sometimes. I have to go to this small group. I have to wake up at 5 o'clock to make coffee for these old men that come on Thursday mornings. You're laughing at me and my parent jokes. It becomes more of a job. Prayer becomes more of a job. Worship becomes more of a job. Being a Christian becomes more of a job. It's something I have to do rather than something I get to do. I get to go to school at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday and pray with my friends over my school. That is incredible. Instead, it's, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have signed up for this. That was fun at first. Now it's like a job. And we all know after like six months at a job, you begin to not wake up as early as you used to. And that's what's happening here. The temples become polluted with sacrifices that aren't really what God has called them to be. Look at Daniel 9. We read this maybe last week. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is a a cry for revival. This is a prayer of revival from Daniel. As Daniel goes into his prayer space and he gets on his hands and knees and he comes before God and he says, Oh God, do something. God, deliver us. So when we begin to pray this prayer and we actually give up all these things that keep us from God, then what? What happens when revival does come? When God shows up, the first thing that happens, the mountains will shake. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. We're thinking physical mountains like Colorado Rockies or the Appalachian Mountains, which are becoming more of a hill, but they're still really tall. But what we're seeing here and and hearing of is the mountains of idolatry, the mountains of addiction, the mountains of work, busyness, pride, obstacles, things that keep us from God. Those are the mountains that begin to shake and quake and melt away when God's presence actually shows up. We talked Wednesday night with the students and we read Mark and we talked about God wants to remove all these things from your life so he can use you. And a lot of times the reason we think God can't use us is because we think that our issues are too big for God. We think that the God who created the universe can't use me because I like to say cuss words or I like to lie. He can't remove that from my life. The God of the universe can't do that. So we take God and we shrink him down. And we disqualify ourselves for God's love, grace, and mercy, and then asking him to use us because we think that our problem is too big. When revival comes, sinners 
will shake. Isaiah 64, verses 2 and 3, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you, come, when you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations, and oh, how the mountains quake. When the lost see something they can't explain, what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to fall on them and they are changed. When they see groups of people who are living life in unity for God, they begin to question what is happening. Went Tuesday night, I was able to go to uh, the Care Village for a couple minutes before I had to come back here for a REACH meeting. And, and what you see when you just go and stand is love and affection by a group of people who, um, who come from different backgrounds. Reaching out and caring for this group of people. And when lost people see Christians come together, no matter what their church name is or what their denomination is or what their past is, they begin to see that God can have hope for them. And when people who are lost see Christians begin to live out the way they're supposed to, the Holy Spirit falls on them and their life is changed. When revival comes, the righteous will rejoice. Isaiah 64, verses 4 and 5. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good and who follow godly ways. God wants to meet you. God wants to meet you. And when God comes down and he meets you, you're not going to be bored by me standing up here and talking. You're not going to be distracted by the sound being off just a little bit. When God comes down to meet you, all you're going to do is worship God. All you're going to do is pray over people. The simple things won't bother you. The simple things won't distract you. Praise is going to flow out of our lips. Affection is going to flow from our hands. The church will all be filled with God's glory. And I don't know about you, but that's what I long for. I long for my children to see that one day, a church filled with God's glory, a church that's reaching out to people, a church that's filled with love and compassion, a church that is seeing revival. We've been talking about prayer. This is the fourth week. And if our church will begin to seek God's face, then we will see an outpour of his spirit. We will be filled with his spirit and we will begin to see people come together. We are a Baptist church, folks, listen, who baptized six people in two years. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. And it starts with prayer. It starts with seeking God's face, getting down on your hands and knees and saying, God, we can't do anything without you. We surrender everything. We surrender our ideas. We surrender our curriculum. We surrender our uh, worship. We surrender everything we have to you because we want to see revival. We want to see your spirit flow. My prayer, especially this week, has been, God, 
stoke the fire of revival in my life, in my family, in your life, in the church, in everybody that's watching, wherever they are. Stoke the fire of revival in Scottsville, in Allen County, in the schools. I don't know if you know this, and you probably don't because we just started, but our school, our, our students are starting a prayer group on Tuesdays and Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock. It's not going to start this week. We still have some work to do. But it's going to start in the next couple weeks. And once they get back to school and everybody's back together, they're going to meet on Wednesday mornings. In our student ministry, our students are on fire, and they're expecting God to do something. And let me tell you, when we come in here on a Sunday morning and there's 70 youth kids in here, that should ignite your fire. You should be excited about the fact that our 7th through 12th graders, our teenagers, are going to be leading the charge of revival. They may be few right now compared to where we were a year ago at this time. But what's coming for our students is something so incredible. I can feel it. They can feel it. You can look in their eyes and believe it. They are hungry for something. And they are going out and seeking that something. And we're in a season of waiting as a church. The Jews waited thousands of years for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. The Messiah stood up, delivered the gospel to them, told them he was who he was. They saw him do great miracles, heal the blind, heal the lame, raise the dead back to life, and yet they some of them still didn't believe. Some of them crucified him. My prayer today is, Lord, sin revival. Sin revival, so when your spirit falls, I know it. I don't miss it myself. So as the band comes back up and we begin to close and, and finish out this series on prayer, and we're, we're going to pray tonight for however long we need to pray. the question I have for you is, do you want to see revival? Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see God step into our church, into our families, into our community, and do something? While we're waiting, I think the song says, Aaron, you can correct me, while I'm waiting, it says, I will serve you. God's been working since Jesus' death and resurrection. Even before then, God was moving, and he's still moving now. And so we shouldn't just sit around and wait as a church for this next person to come in. We shouldn't wait around for God to do something in the sky. We should serve while we wait. Because guess who's really waiting? God is waiting on us to do something. He wants to. Send revival. Like it says in the first couple of verses of Isaiah 65, God is willing and able and wants to, but he's waiting on us to respond and seek his face. Thanks again for listening. 
If you like this message and, and you want to hear other messages just like this one, be sure that you subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you really liked it, be sure that you rate it and share it with all of your friends. It would really help us out a lot. We love you. Have a great week.